Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I wanted to uh, talk tonight about the magic of awareness. And I wanted to uh, start off uh, by reading from a book that was a classic when I, uh, many years ago, um, people of my generation, um, that I, I hadn't thought of in quite some time until just, uh, just last week. And uh, I pulled it up and magic press of a button and there it is. It's called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. <clears throat> Anybody know that book? A few people. It was, it's a real thin book, which grabs you right away. You know. Oh, okay, he knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> and I hadn't realized um, how much it, uh, it influenced me. Um, it's really good. And I'll just read a little passage from it. The basic function of each human being is expanding and contracting. Expanded beings are permeative. Contracted beings are dense and impermeative. We experience expansion Oops. Come on now. Now I haven't mastered my Kindle yet, but uh, let's see. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> oh yes. We experience expansion as awareness, comprehension understanding, or whatever we wish to call it. When we are completely expanded, we have a feeling of total awareness of being one with all life. When a being is totally contracted, they are a mass particle, completely imploded. To the degree that they are contracted, They are unable to be in the same space with others. So contraction is felt as fear, pain, unconsciousness, ignorance, hatred, evil, and a whole host of strange feelings. At an extreme, they have the feeling of being completely insane, of resisting everyone and everything, of being unable to choose the content of their consciousness. Of course, these are just the feelings appropriate to mass vibration levels, and they can get out of them at any time by expanding, by letting go of all resistance to what they think, see, or feel. Simple. Is it, does it make sense as you hear that? This is just what 
the Buddha spoke of as well. He doesn't have a book about being lazy uh, on this, but it's the same principle. And the Buddha talks about um, unwholesome states and wholesome states as one, uh, as the key to wise effort. If you're familiar with the teachings, you know wise effort includes um, guarding against unwholesome states from arising if they've arisen to learn how to work with them and overcome them. And wholesome states are to be cultivated and when they've arisen to even maintain and increase them. Unwholesome states are called uh, akusala in Pali. And all of those states, greed, hatred, delusion, fear, judgment, envy, jealousy, all of those states of suffering, they're called unwholesome because they're states of suffering and they lead to more suffering. And they're all states of contraction. The mind is contracted and tight and agitated. The body is, the heart is. All the wholesome states, love, generosity, compassion, joy, equanimity, all of the beautiful states are states of expansion. The heart is open, the mind is open, the body is open in itself. Have you seen in your own uh, practice these days when you're feeling tight, as we say, or you're feeling open? That's a very clear way to see is this a, an unwholesome state or a wholesome state? <clears throat> and just want to put in there, I'll be speaking a bit more about mindfulness later, but one thing about mindfulness, one key property of mindfulness that maybe can give you um, motivation to, uh, to develop as much mindfulness as you can is that of all the different mental states, mental factors. There are 52 mental factors in Buddhist psychology. That's the, the, the deck we're dealt. <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't seem like everyone has a full deck, but well, that's a little besides the point. But that's, our, that's the palette, that's the deck. And of all of the, the mental factors, some are wholesome, some are unwholesome, some are neither, um, neither. The the one unique property or one, yeah, the one unique property of mindfulness is that it weakens all the unwholesome states and strengthens all the wholesome states. Pretty cool, isn't it? And that's perhaps why the Buddha said there is one direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, end pain and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness, and that is the establishment of mindfulness. Okay, so just getting back to this expansion and contraction. When we are 
that mass, as, as uh, the author, whose name was Thaddeus Golas, G-O-L-A-S, Thaddeus Golas, um, what he was pointing to, uh, when we are mass, when we're dense, we feel separate. We feel um, disconnected. We feel that life is somehow out there happening to us. When there is a, a, a deep expansion, like he says, it's, we're, it's permeative and we are part of all of life. Here's a, one way that I, I find helpful of just pointing to this in a direct experience. I think this is originally uh, Buckminster Fuller's um, um, invitation. Just try this. Maybe you've done this before, but just try it. Close your eyes for a moment and uh, we usually think of ourselves as somebody. Understandable, with a name and an address and all. And as you are connecting inside, just uh, think of yourself as a noun, as somebody, something solid to whom life is happening. Okay, so there is the noun called you. Now for a moment, shift and see yourself as a verb. See yourself as a field of activity in this pattern called you, but in continual flux, all of these biological systems, circulation and nervous system and digestive system and respiratory system and thoughts and feelings, all just in constant flux. You're a verb. And notice what happens when you shift into that perspective. Then you simply become energy, life energy in this pattern that's maintained as you, but that is part of the bigger field of energy. Okay, you can open your eyes. You get a sense of that. Um, and it shifts things because then we're no longer separate. It's not that life is happening out there to us, but life is happening through us or expressing itself as us. And that shift is that expansiveness where the solidity starts to shimmer and, and dissolve. Now they're both true. It's not to say that you are not a noun with an address and uh, driver's license or ID or whatever. Um, but we're usually stuck in the solid end of things. You know, it's like, um, Einstein saying, the whole universe is mass and energy. It's not mass or energy, it's both. And there is a fluidity that, that happens. Just like when you uh, put a, a cube of ice, 
down and then you can boil it and it becomes gas. It has many different states. So this separating ourselves out from life creates, uh, creates problems for us. Then we compare ourselves with others and then we are um, somehow um, caught in this, um, am I good enough? Do they like me? And all about me, me. The Buddha talked about this. He called it the, the conceit of I am. And in that conceit of I am, he's not just talking about being better than, he's talking about any kind of reification of self, you're missing this other level of reality and you're separating yourself out. In, in Pali, the word is mana, M-A-N-A, the conceit of I am. And any kind of either feeling superior, inferior, or even equal to you're still getting caught in the conceit of I am and have a very limited view of who you are. This is a very deeply ingrained perspective. In fact, in case you find yourself humbled by your comparing mind, your judging mind, the separating yourself out, you might take comfort in knowing that even at the third stage of enlightenment, fourth stage being a fully enlightened being, at the third stage of enlightenment, there's still this conceit of I am in the classical model. So if you notice comparing and judging, it just, one way you can think of it is, well, I'm not higher than third stage anyway. <laughs> but you got a lot of company. <clears throat> and on even a, a biological level, it is a real misunderstanding to think that you are separate from life. And I want to read to you again from another classic from the 70s. Um, this is from uh, a wonderful book called Lives of a Cell by Lewis Thomas. <clears throat> Anyone read that one? Oh, good. The same hands. <laughs> he says, a good case can be made for our non-existence as entities. We're not made up, as we had always supposed, of successively enriched packets of our own parts. We are shared, rented, occupied, at the interior of our own cells, driving them, providing the oxidative energy that sends us out for the improvement of each shining day, are mitochondria, and in a strict sense, they're not ours. They turn out to be little separate creatures, replicating in their own fashion, privately, with their own DNA and RNA quite different from ours. Without them, we would not move a muscle, drum a finger, think a thought. Mitochondria are stable and responsible lodgers, and I choose to trust them. But what of the other little animals similarly established in my cells, sorting and balancing me, clustering me together, my centrioles, basal bodies, and probably a good many other more obscure tiny beings at work inside my cells, each with its own special genome, are as foreign and as essential as aphids in anthills. 
My cells are no longer the pure line entities I was raised with. They are ecosystems more complex than Jamaican Bay. I like to think that they work in my interest, that each breath they draw from me. But perhaps it is they who walk through the local park in the early morning, senses, sensing my senses, listening to my music, thinking my thoughts. And on another level of biology, I love this line that uh, Wes Nisker has in his book, Buddha's Nature. He says, check this out. Right now, in your mouth, there are more microorganisms organisms, than have been humans since the beginning of time. <laughs> Chew on that. <laughs> and in your gut, way more. Way, way more. And you need them. You're not separate from life. Life is, is happening through you and you're connected with everything. But we miss that. So it's to play around and understand that there are different levels of reality. Not that one is right and one isn't, but to start seeing it in, in this more spacious way shifts our relationship to everything around us and to us. Uh, a famous passage that uh, perhaps you're familiar with, I love it, by Martha Graham. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And since there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. If you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and will be lost the world will not have it. It's not your business to determine how good it is, nor how it compares with other expressions. It's your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open. So you are a unique expression of life, but can you take credit for being here? I got incarnated. What do you think of that? It doesn't make any sense. And you're keeping the channel open. You're letting life move through you, which is so much more of a, a freeing way to be in life, that it's both yours and not yours. Mm. This is from the Buddha. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit it. This the unlearned people do not really understand and so, and so do not cultivate the mind, or one can say the heart, or one's consciousness. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way really understands, and so for them there is cultivation of this mind and this heart. Luminous is this mind. This is who you really are on that deeper level when you 
when you shift from being a mass to just being life happening, and there is a consciousness that shines through us that is mysterious, divine, one could say, I, I love Ajahn Sumedho has this, this line, the shining through of the divine. And this is one way to think of our practice. What we're doing is getting in touch with that deeper level beyond all the things that obscure it, beyond the, those unwholesome states of confusion and identification and ownership and wanting and hatred and all of that stuff to see there's something else beautiful that shines through. This is from Nyoshal Kempo, a wonderful Tibetan master. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. But we get confused and we don't see this and so we might have all kinds of ideas of how we want to be and now I'm on a, the spiritual path and I, I know better and I know the right direction and I think I got it figured out. Be careful of that thought. This is a contemporary prayer that I first learned from my uh, good buddy and colleague, Howie Cohn. Dear God, so far today, I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, bitchy, or overindulgent, and I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes, I'm gonna get out of bed. <laughs> and then I'm probably gonna need a lot more help. <laughs> Amen. You can have all kinds of good ideas of how you want to be, but those old habits die really hard and they contract us and we feel small and, and then we add a, a second arrow on top of the first and I can't believe I'm stuck here again. What do they think of? I'm supposed to be a, some kind of a spiritual person, you know? And it becomes very painful. Or maybe you don't even have a clue, not a clue, and you're busy, as so many of us in this world are, hoping that we're okay and good enough, and that we somehow measure up, that people like us, when we miss out on the essential understanding. Einstein has this phrase I love, uh, he says, we live in an optical delusion of consciousness. And from our limited perspective, we can't see who we are. 
This is from The Flight of the Garuda that uh, uh, Rinpoche talked about uh, the other day, this incredibly beautiful piece of, of Dharma wisdom. Mm-hmm. It starts out, Emaho, which means how marvelous, how amazing. And it's a very beautiful, poetic kind of a feel. Listen carefully, fortunate children of my heart. It's just such a, a lovely invitation. Listen carefully, fortunate children of my heart. In both samsara and nirvana, that is the, 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 the small world of the cycle of suffering and the deepest levels of freedom, the renown of the enlightened state is widely heard like thunder throughout the sky. It can be experienced in samsara or nirvana. As this always remains within minds of the beings of the six realms, how amazing that one is never separate from it for an instant. Not knowing that the state is within oneself, how amazing that one searches for it elsewhere. Although it is clearly manifest like the radiant disk of the sun, how amazing that so few see it. Having no father and mother, one's own mind is the true Buddha. How amazing that it knows neither birth nor death. No matter how much happiness and sorrow that is experienced, how amazing that it is neither impaired nor improved, even in the slightest. How amazing that without being fabricated, this mind, which is unborn and primordially pure, is spontaneously present from the beginning. This self-awareness is naturally free from the very first. How amazing that it is liberated by just resting at ease in whatever happens. Isn't that beautiful? How amazing. This is who you are all the time, but we're always missing it. And when we start to get a glimpse of it and see clearly the real picture, we, yes, we see all the small parts of ourselves, all those small self-habits, but we see them with this big mind, this big awareness that's seeing, oh yes, just getting lost. This is understanding our basic misperception. I just got confused. I just believed my mind. I just believed this story. I just believed this feeling is being who I am. Uh, last night and, and, and this morning, Kate uh, led us in exploring emotions with that RAIN acronym, remember? Recognize, allow, investigate, non-identification, or not taking it personally. And the N, here's the, the clue, that N 
is the key to the whole thing in seeing, oh, I just got lost. Oh, this is just being part of, part of being human. Oh, and there's an awareness that can see. And within that awareness, anything could arise. Oh, and here's sorrow. And here's fear. And here's worry. And here's love. And here's compassion. And here's all those different mental states. And there's an awareness that can see it. Ah, and they're all just rising and falling in this space of awareness. But the awareness isn't tainted by any mind state. As I, maybe I said it in the hall, I forget. One of my colleagues says, awareness doesn't care. Awareness doesn't care what is going on within it. The awareness of fear is not afraid. Oh yes, and here's fear. The awareness of grief and loss is not lost. It just honors it. It's important to honor it and to feel your losses fully and to feel your feelings fully so you're not afraid of them, but to hold them in that awareness that's not taking them personally, you don't have to get swept up by the show. As, uh, as it's said in uh, Tibetan uh, teachings, this awareness is um, vast, empty, like the sky that has no limits, no boundaries. And yet it's awake, it is cognizant, it knows, it has this quality of knowing. So it's spacious, but it, it can know. It can't not know. There it is, consciousness just knowing experience. And it also is said to be ceaselessly responsive because in that understanding of everything being connected, there is a natural compassion that arises. We're all part of the same stuff. And the key with that awareness is that there is a spaciousness, that expansiveness that can uh, help us see things clearly. It's one of the things perhaps you've, you've sensed from mindfulness, have you noticed? Even if you feel like your mind has just been all over the place and you've been sleepy and you've been not as concentrated as you like, have you, have you noticed starting to kind of um, be a bit lighter and a bit more spacious and maybe just a little bit more in touch and sensitive to things? That's kind of how it works because there's a, a natural spaciousness that comes from being mindful, from not being lost in our contracted thoughts that are just spinning these stories and there's an opening and in that opening, in that spaciousness, we see more clearly. Things aren't obscured and we feel more beautifully because the heart 
naturally opens. It shines through when it's not blocked by those obscurations. That's why vipassana, the word vipassana, is translated as to see things clearly. Because when you see things clearly, then wisdom naturally arises and the heart naturally opens because of that openness. Uh, many years ago, um, there was a, a Tibetan master, a very famous master, who, who uh, came to Spirit Rock on a, a Monday night. Monday night is the big event here. And, uh, many people came to hear him. And he said um, in his talk, I can sum up all of Dharma practice in two words. Everybody became really interested. Two, now that's getting down, that's distilling it. Two words. And he said, be spacious. Be spacious. Because in that spaciousness, the wisdom naturally arises, the heart naturally opens. And it gives us this different perspective. We're not lost in that optical delusion of consciousness. And so we can even see ourselves, perhaps in a different way. Instead of those old habits, we start to see ourselves through different eyes. Here's a, 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 um, a meta practice that uh, I, I want to share with you that I, I often share that I stumbled on in my own practice, doing metta, doing loving kindness. You know, you often we start with ourselves, and you you say, um, you know, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease, whatever. And you're just saying that over and over, and programming your mind. Uh, and I was doing a six-week period of metta practice and. Uh, in Barrie, Massachusetts. And the first week, you, uh, I was directing it towards myself, the classical way to do it. And there I was, you know, saying, may I be safe, may I be happy, and it was going okay. It wasn't, going, it wasn't great, but it was, I wasn't giving myself a hard time. Uh, but um, I was about halfway through this, this week when all of a sudden somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. And then I thought, this would be so much easier if I could just see what they saw. And then I magically connected the dots and asked myself, well, what do they see anyway? Why do they love me so much? And that's when I stumbled on this other way of doing, of shifting perspective with metta. And it was a, a watershed moment for me, a very... Um, landmark moment and I since I have the opportunity and this is the one chance I get to uh, give a full-on Dharma talk with you I just uh, want to invite you to uh, try it out just close your eyes for a moment and bring to mind somebody who you really love hanging out with where you both have the sweet flow of love between you. 
It could be a, a, a good friend. It could be a pet. It could be a child. It could be uh, any being that you both love sharing the space with. And bring them uh, right in front of you. Just imagine that they're looking back at you. Maybe they're smiling and saying, oh, thank you for picking me. And for a moment, just feel that, that sweet energy that you share. That's kind of mysterious in itself that two people can create a unique energy field. And now, for a moment, imagine that your consciousness can inhabit their reality and look through their eyes and see who they see when they're with their dear friend. Just get a sense of why they enjoy being with you. Maybe your playfulness or your sincerity or your kindness and caring or creativity or different talents. Just take it all in. There's probably many, many. And just see, oh, of course they would enjoy being with me. And from their perspective, just see if this person, their friend, is worthy of kindness and happiness. Maybe send, send yourself from their vantage point those thoughts. Oh, may you really see all the goodness inside of you and be happy. Now let your consciousness come right back inside in, within your own self. Stay connected to those qualities and send yourself some kind thoughts from this vantage point. Oh, may you see all the goodness inside or may I and feel all the love and share, share it well. Okay, you can open your eyes. That's a, a little shift from the optical delusion. We're the last ones to see who we are. Everybody else can see, and we're often busy looking through this filter of somehow not enough. Not everyone, not all the time, but when we get caught in that, we're forgetting who we really are. Now, I, I ask you, if you met somebody who really, really got you, who really understood you, who, who appreciated your sense of humor and your, uh, your taste and your take on things, how would you feel about meeting someone who really understood you well? Wouldn't you feel pretty good? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're right inside your skin. But if you met yourself from the outside, you would surely be saying, wow, where have you been all my life? You know? So 
with this awareness, we can see the bigger picture and, and see through that sense of self, that conceit of I am. And as you see through it, you're not bound in that small mind. There's a beautiful teaching from uh, Dogen, Zen Master Dogen, who uh, says, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Okay, so what does that mean? It's one of those Zen cryptic, what is he talking about, right? To study Buddhism is to study the self. That is, to practice like we're doing here is to use this laboratory, as I've said, this mind and body, to study the human experience. To study the self, when you really study this laboratory, to study the self is to forget the self, where you see, oh, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not just this small mess of neuroses. There's something more. (laughs) And I don't have to be preoccupied with hoping that everybody sees that I'm okay or gives me validation. You really, you can have seven billion people line up and say, you're really okay, you're really okay. It will not scratch the itch if you don't feel it inside. (laughs) But when you see, oh, to study the self, to really understand is to forget the self. You don't have to be so self-absorbed and self-preoccupied. And to forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Then the the boundaries are lifted and there's that sense of connection that naturally happens. So, how to remember to see this perspective? It might be all good concepts and ideas, but how do I do it? And again, as I said, the first approach is what the Buddha recommended, mindfulness. The most direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief and despair and realize the highest happiness. Because mindfulness, in the moment that you're mindful, you, there is a spaciousness that naturally happens in the mind and you see clearly without taking things personally, that non-identification, no ownership. If you, do you have control over your thoughts? If you do, let me know. One day it occurred to me, it was a great relief when I realized I have no control over how concentrated or mindful I am. Now that might sound discouraging, but it's actually really great news because then I don't have to blame myself when I'm not concentrated and not mindful. I do have control or input in the willingness to be here. And when I see I've gone, to come on back. That's my end of the deal. And it just so happens that in that consistent willingness to come back and to be here and to want to be here, mindfulness develops in its own natural unfolding. 
But you don't have to take ownership of your thoughts. As a famous book title goes, Thoughts Without a Thinker. They're just coming and going all on their own. What a relief that you don't have to blame yourself for what comes through. And the other side, watch out when you take credit. That was a really good thought. (laughs) Does everybody see what a wonderful person I am? No, it's just coming through and delight in it. Appreciate it. Feel the grace of it. But when you take ownership, look how good my heart is and my mind is. You're setting yourself up for, oh my God, I can't believe what else just came through. It's all just coming through. So mindfulness itself sees clearly. It also cultivates all the factors of awakening You know, I said it cultivates the wholesome factors. There are seven factors of awakening. And mindfulness is one of them, and it cultivates the other six. It cultivates curiosity, investigation. It cultivates energy. It cultivates joy. It cultivates calm. Have you noticed maybe you're sometimes a little bit more settled than you are outside when you got here. It cultivates concentration, starts to collect the attention, and it cultivates equanimity, a balance of mind that's not quite as um, at the mercy of everything that comes through. Although there are storms, little by little, you're starting to get more spaciousness. And equanimity is a spacious stillness that allows for all the ups and downs. And you're developing that little by little. If you have a chance to do a longer period of practice, it it definitely uh, becomes uh, stronger. And it also, mindfulness also amplifies all the wholesome states when they arise. Just by being mindful, the mindfulness is a particular kind of awareness. The awareness naturally happens and the mindfulness is a focused awareness that knows what's actually happening, that knows, oh, now I'm aware of this. Now this is happening. And mindfulness, when you apply it to a wholesome state, that magic power of awareness of increased attention deepens it as another little illustration, a little example. Quick exercise, close your eyes for a moment and bring to mind something or someone that you're grateful for or grateful to. And bring them to mind and Uh, whether it's a person or a a life situation, and have an image that connects you with this blessing. And as you connect with it, just give a simple thank you silently from your heart. Oh, thank you. And now let yourself enjoy the feeling of gratitude. 
Don't miss it. Here it is, the grateful heart. Thank you. Because when you really let yourself feel it, it's beautiful. Take a breath, we'll do one more. Bring another blessing into your life, into your mind. And as you think of whoever or whatever, just uh, bring an image. And again, a simple silent thank you right from your heart. Oh, thank you for this too. To life or to this person, thank you for being in my life. And now let your awareness rest in that gratitude. Feel the, the landscape of the grateful heart. Okay, you can open your eyes. So that's one way that, that awareness works. When you pay attention to something, you give it more life. If it's a wholesome quality. If it's an unwholesome quality and you pay attention to it mindfully without taking ownership of it, it weakens it because you're seeing, oh, this is just a mind-created uh, story. But to not miss all the beauty, this is one of the true uh, mysterious magical qualities of awareness. Another way to remember this perspective and to stay connected to this awareness is, um, comes from your sincerity, your sincerity of intention, your sincerity of effort. You might be all over the map, you might at times be stormy, you might at times be sleepy, you might at times be uh, clear. That's not really up to you. Have you noticed, do you ever come into a sitting and say, I'm going to be clear this sitting. How much of the time does that work? You know, it's just doing its own thing. But your ingredient is the sincerity that you bring as I mentioned a few moments before. You can't try too hard because that just tightens the mind. But you can bring a wholeheartedness to your experience. Just loving the moment. That's the key. Loving the moment. Uh, Rinpoche talked... Uh, the other the other day about the burning desire and that is a key this is from mm, my teacher uh, one of my teachers punjaji the desire for freedom is our most intense desire all other desires are on the surface they rise and fall you see but the desire for freedom is intense and you must respond to it once you feel it. When you respond, this desire will bring you back home. It will continue to trouble you if it is not fulfilled. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not.
from uh, Nisargadat Maharaj from I Am That. Your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom and perfection will make you abandon all theories and systems and live by wisdom, intelligence, and active love. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, honesty. When you're dead in dead earnest, you bend every incident, every second of your life to your purpose. You don't waste time and energy on other things. You're totally dedicated. Call it will, honesty, or love. Now, don't compare yourself and say, oh gosh, I don't spend every second trying to. But there's something about falling in love with the truth. In, in the teachings, in the Theravadan teachings, uh, there's, uh, there's one list, it's not so, such a fa- familiar list, called the idipadas, or the, the bases of power, of success. Like the word siddhi, power, idipada. And one of them is called citta idipada, where when you've touched the truth, when you've seen for yourself and the Dharma has touched you deeply, you can't ignore it. It's like a moth to a flame. You have to keep on, it, it, like Punjaji says, it troubles you if, you if you don't keep on hearing that call. Chitta idipada. So your sincerity is really your secret ingredient. This is from uh, a yogi on a retreat a number of years ago. He says, it's indeed a huge relief to realize that I'm not in charge of my thoughts, that they come up completely unbidden. It's also a relief to know I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness. These two are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed in its own direction has made me incredibly happy. So your sincerity then is coupled with an intention to wake up. And the beauty is that once you realize it, you have much more choice than you usually are aware of. You can choose this whole idea of contraction and expansion. When you realize that you're in contraction, you can actually choose to hold it in a different way. Not that if you are having a meltdown, you can, you can press a button and say, okay, let's be happy. No, that doesn't work. But you can choose to hold the meltdown in a different way and bring some compassion to it. Oh, having a hard time, dear. And in that moment of choosing, 
a new relationship to it. You shift from contraction to expansion. And even the slightest, the slightest movement from contraction to a little bit of opening, whether it's forgiveness for being right where you are, or kindness or compassion, that's all you need. A lot of times people go looking for bells and whistles and let me really open up my heart, I feel so stuck. And it's very frustrating. All you need is a, the slightest movement towards expansion and then you pay attention to that. Oh, look, and it's like you're giving energy and attention to that channel. Oh, it's not all dense in here. Oh, there's a tender heart. All it takes is a moment. There's a tender heart that can say, oh yes, doing the best I can. And the intention is that you are choosing, if you are having clear intention to keep on facing in the direction of more openness, that choice is available in every moment that you realize it. So it's about having a wise relationship to the experience. And now this leads to the, the final piece. Oh, oh well, I have a whole page of notes, but I'm letting go of them. And, but I will share this. And this is the, the trusting that comes when we realize that we're not running the show and the surrender of the control that you never had in the first place. The letting go of control and trusting in life. That you can actually relax and let life support you. An image that I I, I like to think of in, in this is um, from um, learning to swim. I, I, I like this image. Remember when you were learning to, to swim, if you know how to swim, and somebody put you in a pool and, and they said, oh, just relax, you know, just tread water, and, and you're kind of going up and down. What do you mean relax? I'm going down here, right? And, and, then, and then finally you, you, you get the idea of, of treading water, you say, oh, this is so much easier, wow. And then there's that magical moment. You remember that magical moment where you just stopped all effort and trusted and laid, put your head back and there you are. The water was ready to support you all along. You just have to trust enough to go from flailing to floating, the magical journey. And that's what we're learning here, and that's the secret of awareness, where you stop all you're doing, and when you're actually here and present, when you're actually here, you don't need to do anything more to be more here. You can relax and stop your efforting and just 
open and enjoy. In complete non-doing, resting at ease. From Nyoshal Kempu again. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts. Like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. It's here for you all the time. And so we trust and open to and surrender to that natural awareness that's been here all along. So I want to close, if I can find, with a favorite poem. It's here somewhere. I hope. Ah, yes. By Dana Falls, awareness knowing itself. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be but what you are already. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath. Awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath. Awareness waking up to truth. So let's just sit for a few moments and let the words settle. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, 
but what you are already. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward, just this breath. Awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. Thank you very much for your kind attention. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.